Hey everyone, Tri-State Sachs here, back with another Playing Around with the Playbook this week. Um, today we're going to be talking to the great, um, absolutely killing Lucas Pino, so let's just give him a second to get onto the live. I'm so excited. Hi, Lucas. <laughs> Hi, Hello. how's it going? It's going good, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for um, coming on. Of course. Is that prompt enough? That was great. Yeah, great. Three so o'clock on, on the button. Usually <laughs> I'm just sitting there waiting for people to join. And it's like, hold on, everyone. Right. <laughs> now, yeah. that, uh, now that we have a baby over here, it's like uh, I'm, I'm getting used to schedules for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you making the time to come. And I really enjoyed speaking with you the other day. So I thought it'd be awesome. So let me just introduce you for the Playbook community. Okay. Um, originally from Phoenix, Arizona, Lucas grew up singing hymns in church and in choir at school. He started playing saxophone at age 10, and the first music he ever listened to was jazz. As a high school junior, Lucas won the Downbeat Award for Best Instrumental Soloist in 2004. He attended the Brubeck Institute from 2005 to 2007, where he studied closely with Dave Brubeck. Uh, Lucas finished his Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in jazz performance at the New School in 2009 and attended Juilliard from 2009 to 2011, where he received a Master of Music and is very well known for the absolutely killing no net, non net. Um, so to start us off, I'm going to ask um, our staple question. What have you been listening to lately? Oh, gosh, man, I should know better. I should have had something prepared for this. <laughs> I've been listening to uh, Apple Music holiday playlist. <laughs> Every day really for my daughter. And actually, you know what I, I've been listening to lately is um, uh, I saw this uh, superconductor, Carlos Kleiber, like give a, it, it, there's like a YouTube video of him workshopping Die Fleet Mouse on, um, I can't remember what orchestra he's with, probably like Bill or, uh, Berlin Philharmonic or something like that. And it was absolutely mm -hmm. killing. So I've been like checking out this uh, symphonic work. I, I think it's Strauss. So okay. does that count? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, it counts. That's, it that's counts. not very jazzy. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good to know. Good to know. I think we just all expected a jazz answer. So that was surprising. Um, that's what we're here for. Um, so I know your group, No Net, Non Net, is very well known, and I'm a huge fan of it. How did you go about starting this group? And was there a specific inspiration or vision you had behind it? Gosh, thank you. Uh, that's cool that you think it's well known. That, that makes me feel really good. Um, my vision behind the, starting that band was... Um, when, when we were at the Brubeck Institute, we were playing quintet and um, that was in California. And so when I would look to New York and like the New York uh, cats that I wanted to play with, I just kind of like had this like fantasy about like, okay, well, I'm gonna play with all my friends that I've been playing with here at the Brubeck Institute. Plus, uh, you know, Ben Van Gelder and Corey King and Andrew Carrico and Peter Schlem. I started adding people to my band, my imaginary band. And mm. um, it added up to eight or nine people and 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 honestly i i didn't really know how to write for it or anything like that when i first started but i just kind of uh faked my way through it and um cobbled together some charts and uh i guess the rest is history wow interesting so when you say faked your way through it um that reminds me of something we talked about um the other day which is what really stuck with me when you're talking about failure and you asked how many times are you willing to fail in order to succeed um so could you possibly speak a little bit about like how this impacted you as a developing musician or like how you came to this mindset yeah I, mean, I 
I don't know where that necessarily first came from, but I, well, I, I have a very early memory in music, which was like, I wanted to be in my school's, my elementary school's jazz band. And um, I started playing in fifth grade and I auditioned for the jazz band in sixth grade. And mind you, like from the moment I owned a saxophone, my, my dad was like giving me jazz recordings and like saying like, check this guy out and check this uh, person out and da da da. And so I really, as a 10 year old, I thought like, wow, I'm such an aficionado. Like I'm so, <laughs> I'm so hip. And when I um, auditioned for the jazz band uh, in sixth grade, I didn't get in. And I thought like, oh, this is devastating. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this is terrible. And um, I remember going home that when I found out and telling my parents, like, or my mom, I think, you know, like, I didn't make it into the jazz band. It's not fair. Like, I actually really like jazz. And um, I need lessons. That's what I told my mom. I was like, I need <laughs> real lessons. And so um, that was my first experience in music, uh, trying to get something and, um, you know, failing, essentially. And, um, and then uh, I, I think it was my, my band teacher probably said like you know like you were really close but like if you she was she kind of subtly said you know like if you get some more training you know you've only been playing for a year and da 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 but that was my first kind of foray into uh failure as a as a first step towards uh getting something yeah of course um and I know that this might be one of your that might be one of your mantras um but I'd love to hear if you have any other mantras for when you're like feeling low or like when tough, when times mm -hmm. get like tough, like gigging and whatnot, or especially now that, you know, it must be hard to like have such a busy schedule. Yeah. Well, th yeah, I, th I think, yeah, thanks for understanding that. That's kind of, it is kind of, it's kind of gotten crazy since the baby was born, but um, I, my mantras, I don't know. I, I, you know, one thing sticks out in my head, which is like, I was, I remember um, trying saxophones with uh Seamus Blake at the Van Doren mm -hmm. studio some years ago. And um, he said something that was just golden. He said, you know, he said, uh, at some point I learned that feelings aren't sounds and sounds aren't feelings, you know, I guess he, or something like this. I mean, I'm messing, I'm messing up the paraphrasing, but he was essentially <laughs> saying like, the way you feel isn't the way you sound. He's like, I've played, he said, like, I've played performances where I felt, man, that's really bad. And then I listen back at, later and I go, man, that was pretty good, really good. <laughs> and then performances where I felt really good and I listen back and I go, ooh, that wasn't as good as I felt it was. So um, kind of disassociating um, this belief that um, I feel good, therefore I am good, and I feel bad, therefore I am bad, you know, that these things actually mm -hmm. don't necessarily, um, you know, always commiserate is has yeah. been really important and so even so even when you're feeling down if you can remember that um automatically you can kind of uh say well wait a minute there might be another slant on this like there might there might not be so much of a reason for me to feel bad because i can't really judge myself very accurately so yeah yeah oh yeah that's very um very insightful to hear <clears throat> especially you know as like a developing saxophonist and educator i will keep that in mind yeah. um so like throughout that time did you have like a specific or like throughout growing up did you have like a specific inspiration like was there one saxophonist specifically like out of all of them that inspired you the most and drove you the most 
Man, that's a, that's tough because I, I was just asked this question a, a few days ago and, and I, what I realized is that I, I have gone through periods of obsession with many different saxophonists um, mm -hmm. for uh, different periods. And then, and, and, and the craziest thing is, so this is a long answer. The short answer is yes, of course. And maybe that, you know, starts with John Coltrane and, and, <laughs> I, and Cannonball Adderley. And, and then in high school, I loved Michael Brecker and then, you know, in college. It was like Joe Henderson and Sonny Stitt. So it, it changed a lot. And um, and it was obsessive, you know, like just listening and transcribing like these uh, fine musicians. But I think that, um, uh, anyway, yeah, something like that. That's the short answer. That's the short answer. I don't want to belabor that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, fair enough. Um, yeah. Thank you for that answer. Um, yeah, no I know that one thing that you speak about a little bit is thoughtful practicing. Um, so like, how do you, how have you gone about like teaching thoughtful practicing and like, how has that like molded for you? Yeah, I think that it, it totally relates to what we were just talking about, about how our feelings um, and being in touch with our feelings. And I think that some, um, some like people call that mindfulness where you're like aware of, or, or trying to uh, spark awareness of how you feel, um, particularly as it relates to like our ability to, um, edit, self-edit and, and self-critique. Um, you know, so I guess mindful practicing has to do with um, essentially creating a relationship with the critical mind um, that, you, that you already possess so that instead of um, trying to ignore it and, and focus elsewhere, you're actually inviting this voice into your practice and listening to it and then trying to really deal with the information that it's it's providing the mm -hmm. the point that you want to uh create like a barrier i think is that that voice that says you know you're bad at such and such a thing also kind of wants to tell you to also feel bad about it you know that voice is like you're bad at your time is bad and you should feel bad um <laughs> that one's a little like, too hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> And, and so, and yeah, for me too. And, and, but being able to tell that voice, like, you know, thank you for, you know, pointing my attention in, in, in a, in a constructive direction, but, you know, I'm going to be the one who decides whether or not I feel good or feel bad. And I'm, and actually, um, if I can address the shortcomings, then I deserve to feel good. If I can discipline myself to address my shortcomings, I deserve to feel good. And, and I, I deserve to, you know, feel like that, that's a worthwhile place and thing to, you know, to spend my time and to practice. I, I, know, I know that many of us uh, spend, you know, an inordinate amount of uh, time and feeling questioning and doubting, am I practicing the right thing? And um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, to a certain extent, this just becomes a distraction and destructive. I think anything that uh, anything and everything is almost worth practicing in music. But, um, you know, disciplining ourselves to kind of abandon that doubt in the moment is just critical mm -hmm. to having a productive yeah. practice. Wow. Thank you for that. That was really um, insightful. Um, now I want to ask you about Playbook. Um, why do you think Playbook uh, platforms like Playbook are so important in today's classroom? <sighs> I mean, th this, is, this is a great question because frankly it, when, we, when we're talking about technology and and how rapid rapidly technology is changing and adapting you know 
that's the, I think, issue for young, young people to stay interested and focused and dialed in. Um, you know, there's, some, there's something about the process that music is like kind of solitary feeling. Um, there's this, um, I, you know, I don't know, I guess to, to be connected to community and to be connected to uh, the world at larger and then it also being kind of tapped into this fluid, evolving, changing type of um, thing is, is really gonna aid um, I don't know. It, I guess if I can, I'm, I'm trying not to be too obtuse, but it, the the thing that it, we must beware is to hold too tightly to the past or to hold too tightly to what we think, you know, has been effective. As our environments change, especially digitally, we must be willing and not just willing, but aggressively adapting to those new environments and so i think that's why um you know uh playbook is so important and 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 you can imagine that you know uh playbook is going to hopefully you know ride the wave of that vanguard it's it it's almost becoming the norm adaptation is becoming the norm and um yeah you know i don't know i think that yeah that's... no definitely thank you for that answer um we definitely, you know, foster community here and like you have access to all the mentors wherever you are. Like if you're in the middle of nowhere or there's mm -hmm. no jazz band in your school, you know, you have access to one with Playbook. Um, so thank you so much for that answer. And um, where, where are you? Interesting, right? Like how we, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just no, going to no, say like how, how the, yeah. how, how we can seek to eliminate that type of marginalization, you know, using the technology right now is just, yeah, it's fascinating, sure. you know, that type of yeah. access is a great equalizer. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's so more, more power to you guys. More yes. power to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, Playbook is making jazz more accessible, like jazz education in general for everybody. So it's awesome. I mean, growing up, uh, yeah. like when I was younger, I didn't have as much access to like as quality jazz education as everyone else did in like different parts of the country. So, I mean, this is, you're, you're exactly right. Um, so to close this off, yeah. I just want to ask where are you headed next? Like what's, what's your next move? Yeah, my next literal next move is I'm going to be uh, helping a friend make a record uh, on Monday. Um, Jason Yeager wrote a bunch of great music based on um, Kurt Vonnegut's writings. And we're going to so we're going to go into the studio and track that. And then I'm going to hit the road with Brian Carter and the Swingers. And we're going to go and play some uh, Christmas shows in Seattle and Portland. And then it's going to be uh, holiday time. Yay. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Lucas. It was so awesome to talk to you again. Krista, thank um, you. So I'm flattered. Yeah. Um, so everyone go follow Lucas, you know, on his Instagram, Lucas Robert uh, Pino on Instagram and lucaspino.com um, and go see some of his Christmas time shows. So I'm hey. going to head off now, but thanks again. <laughs> thanks so much. And we'll see you again. All right. Bye.